0: It is the crossover episode they've waited for since August of 2023. Sam Paniadovich, Matt Landis, it's Chicken Dinner meets the Props and Hops podcast. And I'll tell you what, Maddie, I haven't done live radio since 2019. So if I'm a little bit rusty, please
1: forgive. All good. I think I am uh, coming up on 300 episodes pretty soon, and I might sound rusty every single go at it. So all is definitely forgiven. Excited to get this show on the road.
0: So there's plenty to touch on. We're going to talk about, first of all, how we met. We're going to get into the meeting at Bet Bash. how we go about our daily stuff, how we attack the board, what we look for. I think there's a conversation, how the sausage is made, how I make mine, how I make yours. I know we both look at a lot of sharp books and see where they're at. I mean, if you look at certain sports books, not only in this country, but offshore, you can really see where the money's coming in and where the stances are being made. And then I know you're like a man about town. You got a bunch of things going on leading into Super Bowl week. But I want to start with our meeting in Vegas because we've been following each other for a while. But we ran into each other at BetBash, BetBash 3. And you take it from there because the first thing I said was What?
1: As I recall, I'm just pumped to meet you, trying to get my words out correctly in and make sure I don't butcher my own name, and immediately you say, crossover episode. <laughs> and I was so blown away that you had any interest in even partnering in this type of capacity, so it was an obvious yes for me, and I know it's been a bit of a wait since that first conversation at Bet Bash, but with the Super Bowl coming up, making the most of the bye week, I'm not sure we could have picked a much better time to make it happen.
0: Yeah, there's so many conversations to have, and it's funny, we start this show on... Uh, Thursday night, it's eight o'clock on the east coast. You're on the west coast. I don't know when the email is coming from the Superbook. I've been texting those guys all day because they're going to unveil the 500 prop packet and maybe we get a sneak peek at that. I know that Jeff Sherman has been tabulating the Travis Kelsey and Caitlin Clark props, uh, the star guard for the Iowa women's basketball team, but I guess just through the Bet Bash experience, I think it was good. And, and you know, I've known of you for a while. I've heard you on VEASAN. I started at VEASAN in 2018, and you used to go on all those shows. And I knew who you were. Everybody says you're super sharp. You're well-connected. You know the game. And I, I think BetBash was interesting because I was expecting a lot more shit. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of the people that attend BetBash, are the ones that are in your mentions and talking smack and you don't know this and you think you know that and there was not one confrontation at that bash which if i would have made a line like here here's the amount of people that are going to come up to you and like try and start a fight i would have made it two and a half juice to the over and that would have been a horrible line because nobody said anything to my face and to me that was a little surprising
1: Yeah, I think first off, credit to Spanky. He runs a pretty tight ship when it comes to making sure that everybody at a bare minimum is treated with respect at Bet Bash. And I also think a lot of it ties in with human nature, where gambling Twitter, frankly, all of Twitter and much of the internet can be such a cesspool at times. But getting to know people face to face tends to break down some of those walls. And I think when we have people coming together at the same place at the same time with such a shared passion... In a lot of great ways. I think that brings out the best in people. So I had no idea what to expect going to the first Bet bash in New Jersey. I think that was summer 2021. And right off the bat, it just seemed like it was destined for bigger and better things. And I, you know, we're about exactly midway through bet bash three and bet bash four i've already got my ticket and i'm already getting close to counting down the days for the next one so it says a lot about what spanky's put together and also again just to when we can come together in person i think the tone of some of the conversations shifts in a dramatic way largely for the better
0: so this show is going to air not only here on your stream yard the props and hops stream yard but it'll be in audiobook form, if you will, on the chicken dinner podcast that will drop tomorrow. And Matt and I are basically going to just chop this up. I don't know how long it's going to go. My target was around an hour because I think we can cover a lot of ground here. But I guess you start and then I can piggyback on that. Like, when did you start realizing that you wanted to help other people? Because that's really what this yeah. is. I mean, that's what my podcast is for. I don't sell pics. I hope I never have to sell pics. I did a podcast because it was a way for me to express myself in free form. I'm a radio guy at heart, grew up in Chicago doing radio, and I was doing the visa and stuff, and then I was doing stuff in Chicago. And now I work at Nesson in Boston, but I'm part of a bigger thing. And this was always a platform for me. It started just talking to my friends because at the beginning, nobody was listening. And it's sort of grown into something where I I do want people to make money. I want people to make smarter bets. I want them to stop making dumb decisions. I want them to stop making 13-leg parlays and they, oh, they were so close, they they won 11 out of 13. I want people to get better habits. Do I know everything? Absolutely not. But I, I do think that I can share things I've learned and people that I've talked to. Like networking to me is is super huge, as you know. So when did you know that you wanted to help other people make money? Because that's really like that's what I try and do. I'm sure you're very similar.
1: Yeah. And as you outlined that, my first thought is, oh, man, is it a bad thing that I don't recall one specific moment? But on the other hand, I feel like maybe I'm very fortunate that it didn't come down to any one specific moment. It's been a very gradual and organic process. So a little over a decade ago, I started betting and my first deposit was at a square offshore book. I put down 50 bucks and I wanted to maintain, you know, like a 5 or $10 bet size, just starting very small at the very beginning. And I think I quickly realized that even if I wasn't trying to help people in a very big public facing way, something like what I consider the best break of my betting lifetime discovering David Molinsky's work at the time he was writing a daily column called point blank at pregame.com that later went to SBR Sportsbook review picks.com. And Dave has unfortunately had suddenly passed away coming up on six years ago, but his legacy, I, I mention it all the time. Regular props and hops listeners will be well aware of that fact, but getting to know him and in his forum, I just talked about in our previous question, how so much of gambling Twitter and the internet at large can feel like a cesspool at times. That was the most dignified discourse I could have ever expected coming from sports gamblers and people who had a reputation, especially in the pre-PASPA days, is, you know, figures in a pretty shady underground, as people like to look at it. But everybody was just so friendly. Dave set the tone. There were so many people in the point blank forums that I just got to know over time and having daily interactions where sometimes I felt like I was trying to get more help than I was able to offer help to others. And this ultimately grew into a relationship with Dave where he approached me leading up to the 2017 NFL season and Mm -hmm. asked if I wanted to co-host a podcast with him. And I was stunned because I felt like it should have been the other way around. I should have been begging Dave to work with me in any possible capacity. He's the legendary better. He's the really smooth talker, knows everything about everything. And for him to come to me, that triggered something that, okay, maybe there's something I have to offer that I haven't really consciously thought through yet. And just getting uncomfortable trying to figure out what the heck a podcast was how to make it work and just really leaning into that with a partner like dave over the course of the 2017 nfl season i think just really launched things to another level and and since then um just keeping you know props and hops up and running since i started it in 2020 it's been really inspiring to see ways that i've tried to help people but really ways that it's sharpened my own process so it's in some ways, I hope that it's selfless, but in a lot of ways, it's selfish because I've become a better better. I've made a lot of friendships. You know, I've benefited from the show as much as any listener who thinks that they might have benefited the most. So I like to think that it's been a very mutually beneficial kind of endeavor in that sense.
0: Well, it's the people you have on your show. You know, you have certain people. I know you had you know Cleve ta on the other day. and like just the the knowledge that these people have. But you also, you know, because you know how to bet, you know how to find an edge. but you have to when you start when you're hosting your own podcast and doing your own content, you have to know the right questions to ask. You have to be sort of professorial, and I think that's you know I never met Dave Malinsky. I knew of him. I read his stuff. I, I used to listen to him on Veasan. I never got the chance to meet him, break bread with him, have a cigar with him, whatever. But I think a lot of what he did sort of rubbed off on you.
1: No. I, I will take that as the the highest compliment possible. And and I like to think that through the time we spent together and just how much I try to reflect on lessons, he had so many timeless lessons. And um, yeah, I, I think I would have been selling myself grossly short if that were not to have been the case. And even if it weren't such a conscious effort, I think when somebody really respects what another person does and gets to spend time with him, it, it's almost an automatic that to some extent that's got to happen
0: yeah and I think we we both at younger ages and at earlier times we had to understand that we didn't know everything nor do I still act like I know everything. I mean the day we stop learning, especially as betters is the day we die and the day we stop finding set edges and I wanted to bring up uh, a thread that you had posted I want to say it was about four or five weeks ago about price sensitivity and this is something that's so important and I promise you we're going to get into the Super Bowl and get our thoughts on that and talk about props because this is the props and hops podcast for crying out loud. But the price sensitivity to me, I always say, you know, right team, right time, right price, right time, get the right number. It's so important. You know, I'll have people that will like, like there's a game today in my backyard, Celtics and Lakers. The line opens 10 and a half at one o'clock Eastern. It's 11 and a half 12. And it doesn't sound like LeBron and Anthony Davis are going to play it. And they get ruled out about four Eastern. The line goes as high as 15. And there are people on social like, ah, Celtics minus 15 is a good bet. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. And, you know, there's going to be somebody somewhere that lays 15. The game's going to land 14. They're going to lose by one and go, damn, Vegas knows. And it's, (laughs) it's funny because. Not really. That's not exactly how it goes. I mean, this line has moved almost five points in one calendar day and the sharpest people laid the 10 11 out to 12 and then news gets out. And then the people that grab the 12 and a half, 13 might be okay. But anybody laying 15, whether they win or not, Matt is making a bad bet.
1: And that reminds me, as a springboard into this topic, one more note from the late, great David Malinsky. He would often talk about the way a lot of people would handicap a game. And really, they might throw out impressive stats and be very smooth in their delivery. But what most people are doing is essentially explaining why the point spread is exactly what it is. And to try to take it to another level, it's trying to find things that aren't priced in, and therein lies the edge. So with this thread from a few weeks ago, what I was trying to cut to the core of is that what we often think of as trivial differences aren't all that trivial at the end of the day. I think, at a broad level, a lot of us get that. But at a more granular level, a lot of us as betters, especially those of us who might be earlier on in a journey as a sports better, might struggle when it comes to how to apply that in a concrete way. So, trying to post a thread and, and do something to help solve that dilemma that a lot of us are constantly wrestling with. Um, An example I gave was that point spreads and totals at a lot of books, they're offered at a quote unquote flat minus 110. But if people want to shop around a little bit, there are some books that are known to offer minus 108 is a standard price. And for a lot of people, the first reaction might be minus 108, minus 110. We're talking a difference of two cents, who the hell cares? And my response to that would be that if we look at somebody who hits 52% of the time, you lose laying 110, you're profitable laying 108. And by the way, 52%, Doesn't sound great. That is pretty good if we're talking efficient markets like full game spreads and totals in some of these major sports. So even if you're hitting less than 52%, you're gonna lose whether you're laying 110 or 108, but you'll lose less laying 108 and that's gonna keep you in the game longer. And for a lot of people, it's just entertainment value as well as trying to find some betting value and Sam, more recently, since I posted that thread, I think a couple of props from the AFC Championship game helped to underscore the points. There were multiple examples in that same game where every single yard mattered, just like every single cent can matter. So Justin Watson, Chiefs tight end, receiving yards closed at 16 and a half, but he was available at 13 and a half earlier in the week.
0: 14, like a trivial difference. Three what yards.
1: One, one catch for a 16. So... <laughs> If you if you bet the close, kind of like your example about Lakers Celtics, you know if you if you're buying high, then it, it might sound like a trivial difference, but it can make all the difference at the end of the day. On the other side, Odell Beckham Jr. receiving yards were offered as high as twenty two and a half, close to twenty and a half. He had twenty two yards in the game, if I recall correctly. A, a two yard difference did make the difference when it came to OBJ. So when I think about this and try to step back from just the AFC title game. I'm reminded that a lot of the best bets I've made aren't bets where I've known exactly what I wanted to bet and then logged into my accounts to try to find the odds. It's where I've taken some time to expand the menus, just poke around, see what stands out relative to prices that I've seen at other books. And to quote the logic of sports betting, which was quoting the movie Rounders, spot the sucker. And my experience, the price really does trump the handicap. So I know there's a saying, just pick winners. That's really good for clicks and downloads, a lot more clicks and downloads than I'll ever probably get. And I think if your goal is a better is to find as much entertainment value as possible and just kick back and have a good time. No problem. So long as you're gambling responsibly. But if your goal is to make money in this, the saying just pick winners is a pretty big oversimplification. And I think it's picking the right price that makes all the difference.
0: And by getting the right price, you win more games. It's just the reality. And this was my favorite part of your thread. And I'm going to retweet this on Chicken Dinner uh, for the people tomorrow when I post the episode on Friday. Bottom line, Matt says, the difference between minus 110 and minus 108 may seem negligible. But over time, the price isn't everything. It's the only thing. You couldn't have said it any better.
1: I think I had some inspiration from a quote that has been misattributed to Vince Lombardi. I think there's a different football coach who had thrown that out there. But yeah, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. I think that ties right into your point. You know, if price isn't the only price isn't everything, it's the only thing you can just swap in pricing and winning. They're almost synonymous. When you're getting the best of the number, you're going to rack up a lot more winners in the long run.
0: I wanted to also discuss, you know, I sent you a couple of texts and, you know, Benson is very What's the word? Mm -hmm. Transparent? Maybe honest (laughs) is a better word on Twitter, Jeff Benson. Brutally
1: honest, sure.
0: Circa Sports. And, you know, there was a conversation because somebody asked about, you know, why is 55% this glorified statistic? Why do people shoot for 55%? And Benson had said, basically, look, if you're betting a thousand a game and you win at 55%, that's not a bad clip. And there was a follow-up question from at polket agar 16912 thank you for answering that why would you welcome their business in your model if somebody is hitting 55 percent because that's less money in circus treasury and jeff responded as he always does quote if we book hard to that person's action we can write more on the opposite side and be even more profitable And this is something I've done since I got to Nesson. I've gotten an understanding and I've gotten to know Jeff Davis at Circa. And I respect his hockey brain more than almost anybody's. And as you know, we have the Bruins on our network. And we have to know all these Bruins angles and how to bet the Bruins. And now it's give us your same game parlay for the Bruins, which is a different conversation for a different day. But I would be lying if I said I didn't look at the hockey lines every morning the Bruins play. And the first number I look at is the Circa number. And I will compare that to the other numbers. So if I see DraftKings, let's say the Bruins are on the road in Detroit. And Circa's got minus 132. And DraftKings has minus 125. And FanDuel has minus 130. And MGM has minus 127. That line is telling me, even though it's two cents off FanDuel, from 132 to 130, that tells me that either a jeff respects the bruins or one of his sharp cats respect the bruins and he didn't tell me that but i can see it
1: i think to expand on that point the value to me and i think a lot of betters who might not be the ones who have a proven track record of hitting 55 over a significant sample and are betting professionally into one of the sharpest books in the world we can still use that information via the odds that we see as a good source of truth. And an example in my own betting would be that in the NFL, I bet a lot of teasers and uh, I have come around to the notion that it doesn't have to be militant only cross through three and seven. There are ways to get creative, but I I think I don't want to get too fast and loose with it. I, I try to find as many edges in teasers as I can, typically crossing through those key numbers and Unfortunately, this doesn't apply to the Super Bowl as much as the Chiefs plus eight would be a dynamite teaser leg. It takes two to tango and I'm, I'm not about to tease a total in the NFL, but <laughs> on a regular season NFL board, let's say a consensus for Team X is plus one and a half. And then we can see a circa, a Chris slash bookmaker and or a pinnacle all go to plus one. That means to me that it's probably go time to fire on that teaser leg if I have another strong leg to pair it with. Because the indication from these sharp books is that those plus one and a halves are going away. So if this line closes plus one and you've got plus seven and a half in pocket as part of a standard six point teaser, you're getting six and a half points for the price of six. And by the way, that's a free half point on top of crossing through two of the most key numbers in existence. When we think about Super Bowl props, something a little bit more applicable right now, I think about line shopping, and this is just, you know, it's it's Christmas day for line shoppers. Sometimes it's overwhelming if you try to have a life outside of shopping the lines at this time of year. But if you can get a clearly better price at a recreational book compared to the Novig line at a Pinnacle or a bookmaker, it's probably worth considering making that bet at the rec book, even if you haven't handicapped it for yourself. So overall, I think that without even betting at some of these really sharp books, like The Circus of the World, There's still so much value in knowing what their lines are because that reflects a lot of the sharpest opinions and the sharpest and highest volumes of money in this whole marketplace so my mo is i don't have to be the smartest guy in the room i just like having these books at my disposal so i can know how to align my portfolio with that of the smartest guy in the room
0: i imagine you use an odd screen i'm gonna just assume that you have one i use Mm -hmm. one too i'm very happy with it and what i do And I I think it's fascinating because I've been able to sort of learn how to read the screen and it took, man, it took probably 10 years to figure out how to read it, to be honest with you to like understand like, okay, this happened, this is going to happen. And it's so next level for so many people, you know, I was, I pulled it up on my phone one day, I'm out at a bar and I'm like, see, like, you need to know where the market is, not just one book, you need to have an understanding of where a lot of these books are like 5, 10, 15. If you only have one out, not only are you only getting one price, but you have nothing to compare it to. And my screen every morning when I roll out of bed, first thing I do is lift the screen, my laptop screen, and power up the odd screen. And I've the way I do it, and I'm different than maybe you are, I've got the Vegas columns to the left. I've got the domestic ones in the middle, and then the offshore ones to the right and they're color coded and you know red is recent for me like a 2 minute move and then there's yellow and green and you can really get as creative as you want i know some people have a million colors and i would lose my mind but if i couldn't compare book a to book b to book c to book d i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to do my job man and that's that's an admission but it's real like if i only could operate off one out and not see what other people were doing
1: i'd be lost Well, something that stands out to me from what you just said, you use the word admission. And I feel like for a lot of betters, there might be this sense of pride in coming up with something on your own and really doing something from the ground up. And to those who can succeed with that type of process, more power to you. You're probably way sharper than I will ever be. And I will gladly concede that. And at the same time, something that you might view as an admission, I think, is hopefully also very liberating or empowering for a lot of betters because we don't have to have all the answers within ourselves. We can just use tools and kind of triangulate based on information that is publicly available from other really sharp sources. So just like you know, people like to give some books crap, say, oh, you're just copying Circa's line or, or Pinnacle just moved. So you're moving on air. Yeah, that might be true. And from a risk management standpoint, I get where that's frustrating as a better, but we can play that same game in a similar way. And it's not entirely on any one better to come up with something from the ground up and just using these tools as a resource, taking some of the pressure off yourself. In my own betting journey, that has also helped me to look at things with a clear mind. And I'm not maybe as frazzled with, what do I have to come up with? And it's just trying to take a step back and benefit from great work that so many sports books or other betters are already putting out there.
0: If somebody were to come to a live props and hop show, let's say you're doing it in an auditorium or whatever, and it's packed with people and somebody raises their hand and says, Matt, what's the most important thing I need to know about sports betting? How
1: would you answer that? Mm. I mean, I think the answer to most questions in life along those lines would be, it depends. And I'm not going to make it too boring along those lines. But I I would want to know what's this person's goal? Are you in this? Because Hey, you're a fan of the chiefs or the Raiders or whatever the team may be. And you just want a bit of an extra sweat when they're playing and you just want to juice up the entertainment value. Do you want to be a professional better? Do you want something in between where you're not going to go pro, but you would like to try to make money, sort of that rec sharp type of approach. And I'm, I'm going to assume something more along the lines of that rec sharp type of approach. Cause I think if I were to have a crowd for a live props and hop show, that's probably who most of these betters would consider themselves to be. And Building on, I think, what we just talked about with some of these sharper books or information that's out there, I think it was kind of an epiphany for me as I was starting this show that curation is what I like to view as my form of creation and that there's an infinite amount of work that any one better can try to do on their own. And it's important to be able to think for yourself. So there's a fine balance here. But really, at the end of the day, if I'm trying to give somebody one piece of advice who might be early in their journey it's that there are so many smart people and so many sharp sources of information that are free or very low cost and very easily accessible any podcast player you know some different websites and taking advantage of that before you try to reinvent the wheel on your own can save you so much time and so much money so uh, i think that sometimes i get that there's a lot of pride in in building something from the ground up on your own and i wouldn't want to take that away from anybody but if somebody's running into a brick wall trying to do that there are a lot of other avenues that I think a lot of people fail to consider at times. And that's where I think a lot of the gold really lies.
0: So I did ask you an open-ended question and I think you handled that very, very solidly. What I was getting at though, was like for somebody that wants to stop losing, you know, what okay. what do I need to know? What do I need to do? Mm. And I'm going to give this a shot here. I'm going to see if I can share my screen and yes, I can share screen here. This will be uh a little boring for those of you that are going to be watching it on, uh, watching it on, uh, well, if you're listening, you're not going to have any idea what I'm doing here, but I'm going to just share this. Oh, well, let me share. Okay, so what I was going to say is know what you're good at and know what you're bad at. And I was Mm. planning on sharing my spreadsheet right here where I have these bets I've made, not only tracked, but tracked by sport, by year. Mm. And I have basically 13 columns. You know, one column is Total. Then I have NFL, college football, college basketball, NBA, baseball, NHL, college baseball, soccer. And the the sports I'm not good at, I either don't bet them anymore or I figure out what the hell I'm doing wrong. I think so many people, and, and I know a lot of you want to just do this and have fun with it and bet 5, 10, 20 bucks. But if you're tired of losing 5, 10, 20 bucks, which adds up and could be hundreds per month, Why are you still betting the NBA if you can't beat it? You know, like the the theory that you're due is not true. Like you're doing something wrong to be, you know, 20 and 52 in a certain sport. Now, that's not the biggest sample size in the world. But if you're 20 and 52 in something, you got to figure it out,
1: you know? Yeah. And so to to more directly answer your question along those lines, I think my my first answer, if somebody's struggling and they've been losing a lot, the first answer would probably be to bet less. If you don't have a clear cut edge and you're laying vig, then the less you bet by definition, the better your ROI will be. But to not be too much of a wet blanket, piggybacking on your approach, thinking what gets measured gets improved. And in my own bet tracking, I've tried some of the aggregators that will do a lot of it in an automated way for you. And there's a lot of value to that in saving time, but I have struggled to find something that I think can can match just what I do by hand, which is like you said, by sport, by year, but also you know by bet type. So if it's NFL sides totals, I bet a lot of teasers, so that's got its own category. I got I bet a lot of props, so that's its own category. Um, if there are derivatives, it, it can get pretty specific. So you can say, hey, on sides, my ROI might be. You know negative negative 10 percent. so might want to pump the brakes there but when i attack this derivative i'm actually turning out a decent profit and another nod to the book the logic of sports betting they talk a lot about expanding the attack surface i think for a lot of betters who are losing a lot it's probably betters who are betting same game parlays and full game point spreads maybe full game totals and there are some edges hiding in plain sight i, I think this is one I, I wish i came on to earlier um but the cat's out of the bag in the NBA, there were prices built into props that were basically a pure derivative of the full game spread in total when it comes to first team to score, race to 10, race to 15, and so on. Well, if you've got a team where you know, hey, this team always wins the tip, or this team sucks at winning the tip off, you almost know who's going to start the game with possession, and you can get monster edges there. I think in Major League Baseball... There was something that made the rounds within the unabated community. I don't recall the specifics, but I think it was first inning or first five. There there were things that were unaccounted for in the lines. And if you just paid attention, these are edges that are often hiding in plain sight. So some things, the edges have come and gone, but there's always something you can get just by paying more attention and digging deeper than a same game parlay or a full game spread or total. So trying to use a broader attack surface as your friend, as a lot of these rec books are trying to offer props on everything under the sun you know, you might run into limits and things might get tougher down the road. But if you just want to flip from a losing better to somebody who has a chance to win, I think broadening the attack surface is probably the quickest ticket to accomplishing that.
0: Is there anything you wanted to cover before we started talking about the Super Bowl, the props, all these derivative markets? Is there anything else you wanted to talk about in terms of process or how to?
1: I've got a couple questions for you that might come up over the course of a Super Bowl conversation, or I might pepper you with them later. But I know we're half an hour in, so if you want to dive into the Super Bowl, then I'm more than ready to do it.
0: But I feel bad because this is your show. I'm driving the car on this, your. This turn. is our
1: show right now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I can tell you the the five bets I've made so far, prop wise. I haven't bet the side yet. Full disclosure, I was hoping the Kansas City was going to go up as the favorite. It doesn't look like that's going to happen because when I saw after the NFC Championship, the two and a halfs turned to two, turned to one and a half to one. I'm like, damn, KC might might blow through zero, and then the resistance came on Monday and Tuesday. They laid one, laid one and a half. We saw a sharp group come out, play the Niners on the money line minus a quarter. So I haven't checked the line in the last half hour. I'm going to guess we're still San Francisco two. Uh, with a total of 47 and a half. Yeah, still painted two pretty much everywhere and painted 47 and a half. So it hasn't really changed, at least in the last hour or so. But I haven't, I haven't done side or total yet. The first bet I made was the first touchdown will be a rushing touchdown at plus 135. You're going to notice a trend here. There's a lot of plus. First touchdown will be rushing at plus 125. We know the price on McCaffrey. What's he, minus $3 to score a touchdown at any time? We know that the Chiefs like Pacheco. There's a lot of talk about Mahomes and Kelsey and Rasheed Rice and all the weapons on San Francisco, the Debo's, the Iuks, the Kittles. But first touchdown is a passing touchdown, minus 160? Ugh, I was all over that plus 130, all over it.
1: I'm taking a quick look. I believe when these teams last played in the Super Bowl, again, sample size of one game, I'm going to confirm here quickly. I think it might have been Mahomes rushing for the first touchdown. So um, we have had scenarios where, you know, while Mahomes is known as a prolific passer in high leverage games, he can pull something off on the ground as well. So it's not just Pacheco or McCaffrey. And in the Super Bowl, who knows what we're going to see. We've seen Andy Reid get really creative. It looks really silly when it doesn't work. But I think with these two play callers, I haven't dove into this yet. But I would say even if you're just looking at McCaffrey and Pacheco, there are more options than that. Purdy was impressive with his mobility in the NFC title game. Some of that may be out of necessity, coming out of a deficit. that The 49ers better hope they don't face against Kansas City on, what, a week from Sunday. But there are multiple paths to get this home, and these coaches could get really creative. So I... Don't have a strong opinion on it yet, but I, I struggle to find a really strong case to go against it, especially at a nice plus money payout. I Speaking wasn't of price Sensitivity, a nice plus money payout.
0: There was no way I was laying 160 on the first touchdown to be a passing touchdown. I'll rip through the next four here. Mahomes under one and a half passing touchdowns, plus 115. That's gone. I have Ushek over two and a half receiving yards at minus 110. 49ers most possession time, minus 105. Mm. And this is just, this is just, I'm gambling on this last one. <laughs> there will be a 60 yard field goal. Yes. 40 to one. I have no math behind it. I just, I saw it and I, I couldn't not bet it.
1: <laughs> well, there's, so I have a couple of thoughts here. First off on the field goal prop, these kickers have big legs and I know that Moody's accuracy has been roughly he's been spraying the ball all over the place, but I think it was when he was at Michigan in the college football playoff just over a year ago. He hit, if I recall correctly, a 58 yarder from the wide hash in college. They've got those wider hashes. He hit a 58 yarder with room just there in their college football playoff semifinal against TCU. And then Harrison Butker against Buffalo just last year. This was, I think, a pretty brisk fall day at Arrowhead. So outdoors, not the best kicking conditions. And he nailed a 62-yarder with plenty of room to spare. So, of course, you're taking a 40-to-1 flyer. It's much less likely to happen than it is to happen. But with that kind of payout, at the very least, I think some kickers with really strong legs. And if we're at the end of a half and a team's got the ball around the 45-yard line of the opponent, then both of these kickers could, at the very least, have a decent shot at hitting it. So it's a long shot, but I can see why it's enticing at 40-to-1. Now I'm gonna That's ask what about I've done I
0: think, so far. What about what about uh oh did you wanna follow up on something? One else one before?
1: question. So on on the I think you also said Mahomes under one and a half passing touchdowns in the range mm-hmm. of minus one ten being what you got. No, and,
0: plus fifteen I was able to get.
1: Oh wow, well, okay. Wow. There you go. Yeah. Even better. Much better. Okay, yeah. so Mahomes under one and a half passing touchdowns at plus one fifteen. So with that, I see a bit of correlation to the first prop you mentioned about the first touchdown to be a rushing touchdown. Because if the first touchdown of the game is a Chiefs passing touchdown, you don't want to be kind of screwed and looking at 0 and 2. Did you factor that into your approach at all? Where, of course, it's not completely correlated, but when there is a bit of correlation like that, do you bring that into your bankroll management approach when it comes to the Super Bowl portfolio?
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I lean under in the game too at, at 47 and a half. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the number's right and it's, You know, it's tough to short two teams that have, you know, explosivity and then maybe the most talented quarterback of all time. It's tough to bet unders in games like this. Um, But I I have a feeling this is going to be a game where we're going to see a lot of running the football, and you're going to see a lot of San Francisco specifically try and keep Mahomes off the field. Because to me, the most alarming thing last week was Baltimore coming into that game Having established the number one running attack in the league, number one running offense, and they ran the ball with backs six times, I couldn't, I couldn't understand it. I, I, it made no sense. They, they tried to turn Lamar into a pocket passer for four quarters, and then they abandoned the run down by ten. You know, which is insanity. Kyle Shanahan's probably not going to do that. He's probably going to run the ball, and if he can get McCaffrey going. It'll, it'll open up this game not only for Brock Purdy, but it keeps 15 on the sideline. So that's the handicap. I could be completely wrong about this, but that's the way I sort of see it shaking out. And the other part of that correlation was Niners have more possession time at minus 105. Mm-hmm. I just feel like their offense has the ability, if they do it right, to run the ball against the weakness of KC's defense, which is the run game. They're They're much better against the pass than they are against the run. I feel like I, just, I feel like I'm a I'm, I'm acting like I could coach the Niners better than Kyle Shanahan right now, which isn't true. <laughs> but run the damn ball!
1: I feel like compared to what we saw out of Baltimore, the Niners are going to heed that advice uh, much more so than the Chiefs' previous opponent. And Sam, I have a couple picks I'll definitely share. I also love to nerd out on the process, as the regular props and hops audience will understand and and hopefully appreciate. But one more follow up for you as you outlined that approach. I got the sense that a lot of the props that you have placed so far align with how you expect the game to play out. So would it be a a fair assumption that you've kind of thought through a a type of game script that you consider to be fairly likely and used that to then back into via the prop bets that you're looking to make?
0: Yeah, that's a fair case. I mean, I do think San Francisco is going to win the game, despite everybody in my office saying you can't bet against Mahomes. I, I understand all that, but in all reality, I mean, this is a Kansas City team that might be as – what's the word? Not weak because weak's not fair. It's the it's 100. the least talented room of receivers he's ever had since being in Kansas City. And I, I just – I don't know that the Niners are going to win. I think they're going to win. I don't know that. Nobody does. It's a two-point line. But I don't know that the Chiefs are going to be able to – you just have the ball for 35, 40 minutes. I, just, I don't see that in this game. And I'm looking at, you know, Nick Bosa and Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw. And they, they've got to be better than they were against Detroit. But in some weird way, man, obviously Mahomes is way better than Goff. But the Lions have better playmakers, right? I mean, with Gibbs and Montgomery and St. Brown, Brown and Laporta. I mean, they they had the Lions have more weapons than the Chiefs. And it feels weird to say that. But I truly believe in that.
1: So with your belief in that and the alignment that your props have thus far, I want to present kind of a, a, a counter to it and see what you think here. If you're okay to dance around this topic a bit, or should you or should you not align with your Is this, your what, you your Is this what you just
0: say you're wrong about everything?
1: <laughs> I, I can't. No, no way. I, again, like you said, there are too many people who know too much more about this stuff than I do to, uh, to have a really strong opinion on it. But I find it to be an interesting conversation topic because... I think it's common around this time every year for a lot of people to advise is a starting point to bet Super Bowl props. Okay, how do you think the game's going to go and, and bet props that align with that game script more or less? And my first concern with that approach is that while you could set yourself up for the best betting day of your life, if you're right, you might be in for a windfall. If you're taking the points, I guess in your case, if you're laying the points with San Francisco and, and taking a lot of props that would align with a similar game script, that could be great. But if your envisioned game script is not correct, you you don't want to do anything to, you know, dance around with that risk of ruin. So I I guess I try to find props that are as resilient as possible to different game scripts. And it's a takeaway that was underscored when I spoke with Cleve TA last week. We were talking about a few different props and um, he liked pursuing angles where you had a lot of different bites at the apple, depending on how the game unfolded, you weren't maybe as fragile, one could say. So I think of a prop, I haven't bet this yet, but... Um, it's got my attention. Something like perhaps Christian McCaffrey rushing plus receiving yards to the over. And if I'm going to bet this, I don't have a lot of time to make up my mind because you know everybody who flies into Vegas over the next week is going to be looking to bet something along those lines, a superstar to the over being the ultimate public play. But like you said, if the Niners are doing pretty well, they can just feed McCaffrey and and churn up plenty of yards on the ground. If they're trailing... Kansas City does a really good job taking away opposition's top wide receivers. So McCaffrey out of the backfield might be an area that he can exploit. So whether it's a positive or negative game script for the Niners, something like that might be pretty resilient. So I guess all in all, how much consideration do you give to, yeah, align your props with your envisioned game script because that can give you a lot of synergy, or should you you don't want to bet props that you think are not likely to occur. So you don't want to fully go the other way, but maybe try to balance things out a little bit and give yourselves more outs in case your envisioned game script isn't what we see. Cause it seems like every week we're kind of surprised by game scripts that end up unfolding.
0: Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I, I did this last week, you know, I, I did bet some Raven stuff, but then I also had Kelsey touchdown and he was plus plus one twenty five, which was ridiculous to me because he came into the game having caught a touchdown in 10 of his last 12 playoff games. And I know that, you know, 12 games isn't a big sample size, but, I would argue the Gronks of the world and the Kelsies of the world, they just played a different level in the postseason. So 10 out of 12 playoff games spoke volumes to me. And what do you know? He catches the first touchdown and plus a quarter, you cash that ticket. You see his price this game? Minus 130. So it's already swung 50 cents. I don't know. I I don't – because if you bet pro-chief and pro Niners stuff, there's a world where you just juice out if you're – especially because a lot of people are going to bet – the the Mahomes overs and the you know like Mahomes over one and a half passing touchdowns at minus one thirty 130, minus one thirty five you know you go five and five at minus one thirty I don't care what side you're betting you go five and five at minus one thirty you're down a unit and a half because you're down six five on the juice and I think that's my concern. As I look at my sheet now, I'm I'm very one-sided to your point. I mean, there's there's well, the first touchdown rushing could be anybody. I mean, it could be mm-hmm. Kansas City or San Francisco. So that doesn't matter. The field goal could be anybody, but there is correlation for sure on Mahomes under one and a half passing touchdowns and Niners most time of possession. But even the use check, I mean, that's just one play, man. That's one play. And I was looking at this earlier. His his numbers against um The Chiefs have been pretty good. He's got, and I know it's not a big sample size, but Kyle Juszczyk against the Chiefs has had huge games. Like, he's had like 25 yards in one game, 35 in another game. So I feel like that broken play is going to be huge because we know KC's D is good against the pass, and they also have Jones and Karloftis, you know, to get to the quarterback. So I do expect Purdy to have to make some plays. Here are the four games Yushek's had against the Chiefs. 26 receiving yards, 38 receiving yards, 39 receiving yards, and 34 receiving yards. And really, to me, it's about the targets. In the first matchup, six targets. In the second matchup, four targets. The third matchup, three targets. The fourth matchup, four targets. So they try and find him. This has been the script for Shanahan. Let's find the little fullback flair and give him not one, but multiple targets. And and that's why I, I landed on him. And that number went from a half a yard to now three and a half on Yushek.
1: I think that's a really sound handicap and something you brought up b- before breaking down. You may have sold me on Yushek. The the number has moved, so maybe I'm not going to unload on this, but I'll, I'll do some shopping on him for sure. I, I think I might recall him having um, not just a fairly long reception, but a, a long-ish touchdown reception against the Chiefs in that last Super Bowl matchup as well. But you touch on the notion that if you go five and five, but you're laying minus 130, that's not going to be a pretty ROI. So, not to, um, you know, maybe ratchet up the VIG too much, but one of my biggest process driven angles for the Super Bowl every year, and I'd say that this is probably good advice for anybody who would say their primary goal for the Super Bowl isn't just entertainment value, but to win money. If you can stomach it, Save some money for next Saturday, next Sunday, and be ready to lay some lumber. It's not always comfortable, but that's like no overtime at 10 to 1 or less. No safety. I I feel like my cutoff is about 9 to 1 or less that I'm willing to lay. No kick to hit the upright, 6 to 1 or less. No defense or special teams touchdown, minus 250 or better. Yes to a team to score three straight times, minus 170 or better. Overall, these are prices that won't show at every book, but when they do show, I think it tends to be late in the betting cycle. And again, it requires some intestinal fortitude, but sometimes I think the tougher these bets are to make, that can be a sign that they might offer even more value. And the Super Bowl is this unique event where the volume of public money can profoundly affect some of these odds. And we know that most public bettors prefer a couple things one, risk a little to win a lot, that lottery ticket mentality. And number two rooting for chaos i totally get why a lot of fans would want to see overtime they'd want to see a safety they want to see a doink let's see a kick at the upright let's see a defensive or special teams touchdown and i think that the availability heuristic tends to have us thinking that these rare events are more likely to occur than they actually are because when we do see them it, it just kind of etches into our brain a little bit more strongly and this is a way for us to take advantage just sit back relax let the public money do its thing and then within 24 hours of kickoff, being ready to pounce. Because at the end of the day, what often feels like a pretty big price to lay for these types of bets often isn't big enough relative to the true probability. So Yeah, I, I
0: imagine you I'm not doing you're anything with those Super yet, Bowl but Sunday. but I'm shopping. <laughs> I picture you on Super Bowl Sunday just waiting for the no on the octopus prop to come down just enough to where you could fire on the no. <laughs>
1: I still recall, I mean, this isn't laying a huge price, but the Super Bowl where the Chiefs played Tampa Bay, I guess we're talking about this time in 2021. And Tyreek Hill had a monster game against Tampa Bay. I think it was week 12 that year, going for something like 269 yards and three touchdowns. And his receiving yardage prop got seamed into triple digits. And I just had a sense that I, I wanted to play the under. But if you're going to look toward the under for a star player, 10 days before kickoff, just wait until closer to 10 minutes before kickoff. And you're again, tying back into price sensitivity, you're probably going to get the best of the number. It wouldn't have mattered with Hill. I think he had 73 receiving yards in that Super Bowl. He came in well under regardless, but when you can get a guy under a hundred and a half yards and the fair number should probably be closer to 90 and a half yards. If that, then just letting the public money do its thing in certain markets can really set you up for, a nice betting portfolio in, in those final hours and minutes before the game kicks off.
0: Yeah. I remember having Rufus on the show last year on chicken dinner, Rufus Peabody. And he told me a tale of two super bowls. He said the best super bowl I ever mm-hmm. had was Patriots and Rams. It was 13 to three. Everybody's under, like every under hit. It was glorious. And I think it was a year or two before, was Eagles Patriots, and he said he got crushed because that was the what the forty-one to thirty-three. Brady's got mm. five hundred yards. Foles yeah. has three eighty. Everybody's catching balls. Everybody's scoring touchdowns. And these are at the end of the day, these are these are these are all one-offs. I mean, this is one game on one Sunday in February, and anything is possible. And for a guy like that to admit that I've made money on Super Bowls. But I've gotten waxed on Super Bowls. To hear that, I was like, ooh, all right, maybe I shouldn't get too crazy on this random football game in Las Vegas on a Sunday.
1: Well, and and keeping that spirit in mind and also the thought about props like your first touchdown to be a rushing prop or the will there be a what a 60 plus yard field goal prop at 40 to one, thinking of the types of bets that can be resilient to a certain game script and hopefully protect you from getting too waxed no matter how the game turns out. One of my favorite props I finally just saw today at one pretty well known offshore, and it's going to become more widely available, I think, in the coming days. Penalties under 10 and a half. We're talking accepted penalties here. And I think at a lot of shops, this is likely to open pretty widely in the range of a flat minus 115, if not a little better than that. But I think people are going to want to act fast when they see this if they want to make this bet because the under tends to get steamed. I consider it good up to minus 130. And the handicap here. Super Bowls in general, people want players to determine the outcome. And more often than not, that means refs will err on the side of swallowing the whistle. I think this is especially true when we talk about subjective penalties like holding, roughing the passer, pass interference. Of course, we had that very high profile case last year of an official not swallowing the whistle on a close call in a crucial moment. And that defensive holding call against James Bradbury basically set up Kansas City to milk the clock and end the game with a chip shot field goal to win it. So admittedly, I'm not an officiating expert, but my understanding is that by the book, that was a correct call. However, based on the situation and how close of a call it was, there's a lot of outrage against that flag having been thrown. I think a lot of people felt robbed that we didn't get a more dramatic ending to a really classic Super Bowl matchup. So especially this year, I feel like everybody would prefer to avoid a repeat scenario. And if the game's close late, I think a similar play might not draw the flag. This year's referee, Bill has a reputation for being a bit hands-off, especially with subjective calls. I know it's an all-star crew, so I'm not going to data mine, you know, his crew stats for all 17 or so games that they have ref together so far this season. But when we look at this year's playoffs, admittedly not a huge sample, but seven of the 12 games have gone under, that's 58.3% equivalent to minus 140 odds on under 10 and a half penalties the Niners and the Chiefs, not very heavily penalized teams. If anything, they skew toward the middle of the league in this regard. So all things considered, I think that under 10 and off penalties is stacking up nicely. And two subtle edges, Sam, I'll throw you away. Then I'll see what you think of this prop. One, with the Super Bowl being played on a neutral site, home field advantage can help lead to pre-snap penalties on road teams. These are the least subjective penalties in the book, and it's really hard not to call them. We saw Houston false starting left and right against the Ravens in the wild card rounds. I do expect the Niners to have a slight crowd advantage in the Super Bowl, but overall, it's a much more neutral setting than we usually get, so that can help suppress some of the obvious pre-snap penalties that refs can't turn a blind eye to. And then number two, one of my favorite things here that I've uncovered looking into this prop this year, when it comes to tempo, Kansas City, below average, the Niners dead last in the league in seconds per snap. And I think it makes sense just trying to take a step back and figure both of these teams use a lot of pre-snap motion that can take some time to develop. And for San Francisco, I feel like Shanahan probably going to want to be in Purdy's ear as long as possible to help his young quarterback get a read on Spagnuolo's scheme, kind of similar to McVay with Jared Goff in the aforementioned Super Bowl. I know the Patriots won that one 3 but you know, a coach trying to be in a young quarterback's ear as much as possible against a really good defensive schemer on the other side. And of course, a slower tempo means fewer plays. That translates to fewer chances for penalties to get called in the first place. So Sam, I know I've kind of unloaded the book on you. Um, any pushback, any thought on your end when it comes to about like under 10 and a half accepted penalties, which I'd consider good up to minus 130?
0: Nope. I'm just going to look for it for the next three minutes and bet the under. But I don't think that's <laughs> up yet. I don't think the domestics have that. So you have it offshore. I it's, mean, we're going yeah. to get a lot of props up, not only in Vegas, but you know, the domestics are going to put them up. We're going to see what happens at the Superbook tonight. Circa puts theirs up on Friday. And then I imagine there's going to be some back and forth. These books are going to be looking at Superbook and Circa and get these ideas. So 10 and a half. Here, here's my question. I have no bounce back because I think you have studied this more than anybody I've ever met. What is, <laughs> like, if it goes to 10 flat or nine and a half? We, we're done, right? Like 10 and a half only under...
1: Yeah. And so that that's a great question. And I'm probably not best suited to say I get the difference of like, okay, what if it goes from 10 and a half to 10 or 10 and a half to nine and a half? How much juice is that worth? I don't have a perfect answer. I would say unless there was a pretty handsome plus money payout, I'm just going to zero clear if it goes south of 10 and a half or if the VIG on 10 and a half goes north of minus 130. A lot of books, it's just a knee-jerk reaction. Almost every year, they just price it. It used to be 12 and a half. And I think before I was betting fairly seriously i think 13 and a half was the going rate so this is one of those edges that's probably not going to last forever but i think based on some of the few books that do have it up so far offshore it looks like that knee-jerk reaction at least for this betting cycle is back in play so yeah barring a big plus money payout i really would want 10 and a half it's silly how many games could land on nine or ten and it's really coming down to the wire I feel like seven or eight is the most likely outcome here, but I really like that cushion. So I'll, I'll just stick to 10 and a half up to minus 130 and leave it to, I don't know if it's the uh, Steve Fezix of the world who you know have actuary backgrounds who might be able to break it down should that number get off of 10 and a half for accepted penalties.
0: We have gone 54 minutes. I can't believe it's been that long. It's just like two old friends having a conversation, a lot of Super Bowl stuff, but I wanted to kind of give the baton back to you and bring it home because again, you, you made the offer to join the props and hops podcast. We're doing it on your stream yard. You want to talk a little hops. uh, You want to talk the Malinsky minute, and then I'm going to let you put a ribbon on this. So I'm going to take a back seat. Now I'm going to hold up my Jack and diet Coke that I've been waiting 54 minutes to take a sip of. (laughs) And I'm going to let you bring us home here.
1: There we go. All right. Well, uh, I will just say, as you get your Jack and Coke, uh, pretty soon I will open up a can I have been waiting equally long to dig (laughs) into. Uh, For the audience who's watching with us on YouTube or Twitter or in podcast form on Spotify, the video will be up there. Let me try to get this properly into frame. This is a beer by the name of Party Cup. It is a lager with mosaic hops made by North Park Beer Company in San Diego. For my money, the best brewery in the best craft beer city in the country. This one clocks in at 5% ABV. It's really light, clean, and refreshing, just you know, as you might expect from a classic lager. But with the mosaic hops, it also adds notes of citrus, tropical fruit, blueberries, a little bit of pine. So you're getting some added character here. I think this beer, as the can art would suggest, I mean, it, it looks like something that you'd want to use to get down on a game of beer pong or maybe a game of flip cup. I think once you taste it, it almost seems too good for something like that. But the best part is, there are no rules. And my final note here would be this is also the odds on favorite to be the beer in my hands when the Super Bowl kicks off. So, oh. Sam, from coast to coast. Cheers, Cheers man. man.
0: I wish I had a better backstory on the uh, Jack Daniels. I mean, there's a hint of charcoal, yeah. um, maybe some oak in there as well, <laughs> some leathery
1: um, tobacco. Yeah.
0: Well, I don't have the bottle in front of me. So I'm going to go off memory here. I believe this is 40% and 80 proof, but I do mine out of the, uh, my buddy, Jake Dahlberg in Chicago sent this to me. This is a chicken decanter. Yes, this is actually a oh, chicken. Wow. So I don't have the <laughs> bottle in front of me. I have this glass chicken that oh, has that my, is too uh, good. my Jack Daniels. Yeah. Maybe one of the best gifts I've ever gotten, but, uh, I was really not prepared for the uh, soliloquy with the Jack and Diet. So, but uh, so Party Cup, you're going to be drinking that on uh, Super Bowl Sunday?
1: It's, yeah, it's a nice, again, sessionable 5% ABV. So, over the course of a three and a half, maybe a four hour broadcast, if I have a few, I, I won't be losing my width. I'm definitely going to ratchet up toward the IPAs or some bigger beers as the game progresses. But at least for starters, it, it's just a perfect baseline.
0: Okay. Now, The price on Purdy or Mahomes to win MVP against the field Mm -hmm. is like minus 270. Are you Mm -hmm. minus 270 party cup? Is that
1: like, that's the move? Oh, yeah. I thought we were going to go back to the Super Bowl for a second. I was going to say, well, if you like the Niners, they have a very diversified offense. So maybe you want to go toward the MVP not being Purdy or Mahomes. Uh, Yeah, I would say minus 270 is pretty light. I mean, This is almost like the NFL draft betting market where there can be a known outcome. So in fact, I think this one might be pulled off the board after it got juiced up to maybe north of 10 to one. And, and now we pretty much know what the result's going to be.
0: So that's the Caleb Williams and the uh, Landis household. Got it.
1: I, I guess, you know, I was talking with Ben Brown, formerly of PFF and now with Sumer Sports a few weeks ago on this show. And, and it sounded like within some of the scouting community there, there might be of a ground groundswell support coming for Drake May at some point. But as a USC grad, I, I like where you're going there. And Yeah. Heavy juice and uh, maybe not heavily juiced enough, you could say.
0: Well, cheers again. And then you do at the end of every show, you do the Malinsky
1: Minute, yes? Yes. So I think a fitting way to wrap this up would be to dive into a pillar of Props and Hops, a segment dedicated to the late, great David Malinsky, and For context, anybody who may not be familiar, I was so fortunate to get to know him as a friend and even a father figure in some ways. He was a great partner and mentor as we did the House of Yards podcast during the course of the 2017 NFL season. And by the way, we've talked about Bash a bit. I feel very strongly that Dave belongs in the Sports Gambling Hall of Fame, not just for what he did as a better and a handicapper, but for the way that he shared so much knowledge with so many other people. And hopefully it's just a matter of time. But among many things, Having known Dave, I just got the sense that he had really mastered the balance of knowing when to grind and when to unwind. And as a result of that, I feel like he was often not just the smartest person in the room, but also the most interesting person in the room. Sometimes there's a disconnect. If you know as much as Dave did, it's hard to also be an interesting conversation at a cocktail party. But I had a thought of Dave on a recent vacation to Vienna. Sam, I swear I'll tie this back into our conversation here shortly. But I'm in Vienna taking a tour of something called the Spanish riding school. Now don't ask me why you have to go to Austria to see something called the Spanish riding school, but nevertheless, this is some sort of elite horse riding school. A lot of interesting stuff to look at for a bit. And if you're wondering what elite training looks like, I was kind of blown away when they shared that for these horses, they train hard for half an hour a day. Then they have active recovery for about another half an hour a day. The other 23 hours is rest. And I I just kind of had a big parallel to the way that I approach things in my own life. And the takeaway was that, of course, there's a time to push the pedal to the metal, a time to shift into neutral, a time to put it in park and bringing that into this conversation. I really tend to grind to a fault. And every time we've interacted or I've come across your content, I feel like it always reminds me to loosen up and really enjoy life. So, I mean, this is a major compliment and I'll close it out with two questions for you. First off, how would you describe your approach to knowing when it is time to hustle and when you can just cut loose and relax? Because it seems like you've got that balance figured out much greater than I do.
0: Well, I appreciate that. I don't know that that's 100% accurate, but uh, I think it's, you know, you have to have a balance. And, you know, when I first got out to Nesson, I was waking up at 6, 7 in the morning and, and going to the screen and and getting an idea, taking a mental picture of where these lines are and where these totals are. And I have sort of a steel trap. I can remember a lot of stuff. It's it's sort of a gift. But then I'd get into the office at 11, and I'd be at the office until 7 o'clock and get home at 7.38 and then come home and flip on a game. And it's like, all right, you got to shut this off eventually. And I learned a couple years ago that the result of the game isn't predicated on me watching it. So even as I have Wisconsin right now against Nebraska, I don't even know the score and I don't even care. So I think the philosophy has been do the work and the results will follow if you do the work right. I've I've tried to detach myself from biting my fingernails for four quarters of a football game or for the last eight minutes of a college basketball game. Of course, I like to watch. I like to go out to the bars, drink hang out my friends, watch the games. But if you don't shut it off, man, from time to time, you're going to burn out. So I think that sort of plays into the question, like, how do you have your fun? You, you just have to sometimes, as much as it sucks, you have to put this thing down. Sometimes you got to throw it to the back of the room and just not look at it for a little bit, because we are just robots at times with all the content and all the lines moving and You know, it's not like the stock market when the bell rings in the morning and then the bell rings at the end. This is 24-7, 365, but you have to have a social life and you have to find that balance.
1: And if we may add to that, it is so well put. But one thing I, I took away is that even when you are putting in the work, it seems like there's still a playful spirit. And maybe that helps to avoid some of the burnout because inevitably, if there are ebbs and flows to the sports betting calendar, whatever somebody's life calendar might look like when things really ratchet up and you have no choice but to just hustle a little bit to get through some sort of milestone, whatever the case may be, when it is, you know, no doubt about it, time to put in the hard work and you don't want to burn out, how do you go about, maybe it's just natural, maybe there's something consciously that you do, maybe it's unconscious, but myself and others just pick up on it. It seems like even when you're really hustling, there's still such a playful spirit that goes such a long way. Any insight you can share about what goes into that and how others might be able to adopt a similar ethos?
0: Well, I I don't, I don't have an answer for that. I certainly didn't prep for that one. I don't know. I just, I love, I love people. I love everything about people. I love getting to know people and asking them questions and having conversations. And uh, contrary to popular belief, I know things about uh, things that aren't necessarily sports things. I love a good book, (laughs) nice, uh, nice music show concert, you know, going to the movies, you know, a nice meal, I like to cook a lot. I've been cooking a lot more uh, since I got this house. So, And doing like, you know, prime ribs and smoking pork shoulders and all that. So it's just, you want to be versatile. You don't want to just be the guy that can only talk about sports. I think the guys appreciate that. But, you know, there are some people that just don't care about sports betting as much as I do. And understanding that people have other, you know, things they like. They have other hobbies. They have other concerns. I think understanding that not everything that I do is what everybody wants to hear about it that makes sense so i just try and bring out the best of people and uh look i do i do my fair share of shots from time to time and that's always a nice little lubricator too
1: (laughs) on brand for the malinsky minute I, i thought as you were rattling off that answer i mean if anybody ever needed a sports betting tip of course dave was a good source for it but also if somebody needed a restaurant recommendation a music recommendation a book recommendation he was also more than up to the task for that so I guess, Sam, final question for you would be between you mentioned liking to cook, liking to read, watch movies, go to concerts, any recommendations if there's just one recent standout experience in any of those areas outside of sports, anything that stands out as a highlight that you think is a lot of us prepared to maybe scale things back after the NFL season wraps up a recommendation from you that maybe some of the audience can tap into.
0: Sure. So I actually have two books on my counter. I'm going to give you uh, one sports book and one non-sports book. If you haven't read this one yet, this is uh, the new Billy Walters book, Mm. Uh, Secrets from a Life at Risk. It's called Gambler by Billy Walters, of course, who went into the inaugural class of the Sports Gambling Hall of Fame at Circa. uh, The best better of all time, the best winner of all time. And he lays a lot of his principles out in this book. Uh, Gambler, fantastic book. And then uh, number two I'm uh, not a dad yet, but one day this is called the Daddy Diaries and it's by a guy named Andy Cohen and he's got two young kids and just super relatable because I have a lot of friends who have one, two, three kids and they're pulling their hair out from every angle from time to time. But this is a good look at, uh, let's see, here's the uh, the byline here, the, the backstory. story. Uh, New York Times bestselling author Andy Cohen goes from bottle service to baby bottles in a hilarious, heartwarming, and name-dropping account of the most important year of his life. So, uh, pretty good read, and I think many people would not have expected me to pull uh, this book out on the show.
1: Yeah, if we're talking about the biggest underdog, I don't know if a 60-yard field goal would have a better payout than (laughs) Haddad's been offered on that type of book.
0: Yeah, well, you might be right there. You might be right.
1: Awesome. Well, Sam, I could go for another hour. We'll have to do it maybe in the off season, maybe as Bet bash is approaching once again. Uh, but this has been a blast and clearly not just knowing your stuff around football or, or the sports media space, but um, well-rounded when it comes to life overall, uh, a perfect way to wrap it up with the Molinsky minute. So thank you for everything you've brought to this conversation. And I'm definitely looking forward to sharing some drinks together in person at bet bash and hopefully being in touch again before then as well.
0: Yeah, man, I appreciate this. Thanks for making everything happen. We're going to post this on Chicken Dinner on Friday. And I hope you listening and you watching, I hope you got something out of this as well. Because again, we have to always, always keep learning.